Hello, welcome to Soundcheck Flicks. We're talking about movies. I'm Tim Piles. I got Graham Stevens over there. I love calling you Graham Stevens. It's the spooky part of the season, man, and this is my season. It is. I'm ready to be here. We have Jake Davis from Icona here. We're talking about The Ring, the American version 2002 film directed by Gore Verbinski, who actually has San Diego ties as well. Um, we'll talk more about that. Nice. But Jake we'll from Icona, not State Farm. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to do this, and I think this podcast is, you know, really cool that you're bringing movies kind of into the music thing and get to talk about something a little bit different for once. So I take it you've listened to quite a few of our podcasts Yeah, I've already. checked a couple of them out. I nice. saw the first one, Letty Beers, I think, yep. was the first one. Rock yeah. and Roll High yeah. School. Yeah. That was really good. Enjoyed it. You can be found on stage performing with your band, Icona, but also yep. at uh, Sam Ash over in my neck of the woods, kind of in the uh, Rolando Park area, sort of by Lemon Grove. Yep. Uh, you can be found there working in the guitar department. Yep, that's me working in the guitar department. Guitar slinger, string slinger. How long has Icona been a band? Icona's been a band. We've been doing it since 2018 now, so I don't know how many years that is. What, six, seven years, something yeah. like that? And uh, have you had other bands before that? Or? No, my first no? band. First actually. band? Yeah. Was that in high school you started this band or out of high school? No, I was out of high school. I think I was like 23. I moved here in 2015. Um, kind of grew up in a small town. So I. Where was that? Susanville, California. It's Sus- really northern California. It's kind of by like Reno, Nevada. Okay. Yeah, little little prison town, and <laughs> I wanted to pursue music, and nobody really in that town wanted to do what I was doing, so I was like, you know, let's take it to San Diego and try to see if there's more opportunities out there, and it kind of just kicked up really quickly for me when I moved here. Did you have friends here, or just... Um, I had a friend, Kylan, here when I moved here, and he introduced me to his friend's brother, Chris, who's my lead guitar player now, um, and we started, like, an acoustic project. That's initially how it started. Sure. And, um... You know, we brought on a drummer a couple of years later because, you know, the acoustic thing wasn't really picking up that quickly. And then right when we got a drummer, um, started getting gigs really quickly. The interest, you know, seemed to pick up a bit more as well. So I've just been kind of doing that ever since. You've played the Casbah stage a few times. Yeah, we yeah. played the Casbah a couple of times. Thanks to you. Appreciate it as always. Definitely. Any tour dates planned? You've done some little tours with you know, the band, we just got you? We just got off a tour. It was the Icona Wanna Tour. Sure. A little, little play on words there. But um, <laughs> we went towards the Midwest. We did a little bit of the West Coast. We started in San Diego, did Tempe, Arizona, Vegas, Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was amazing, by the way. I've never seen or even been to a lot of these places. So sure. we're just rolling through, playing shows. Um, after Albuquerque, New Mexico, we did El Paso, Texas, then came back to Tucson, and then came back to San Diego. So it was about a six-day run, which was amazing. Well, did you see Ringu first or The Ring first? You know what? I haven't even seen Ringu, which I need to. I haven't I, read any I'm of I've not seen it yet either. Has it got subtitles, I'm assuming? Yes. I, okay. would, have to, I would have to. It's pretty subtitle. freaky. It's it's tremendously more scarier than I think this the, one. Uh, I think the monster is a little bit scarier. Okay. In that one, um, I am really dazzled by how great the American remake turned out. Because a lot of times we, you know, whether it's let the right one in, you know, that great Swedish vampire one that we made, you know, called Let Me In, and right, you know, right. any, a lot of times they lose their soul when they get transferred right. over to the American version. It gets dumbed down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and it's it's not as good as the foreign one. I'm like, why the hell did you even bother to remake that? Right. I get that feeling a lot, and this is definitely not one of those. Like, I would agree. I feel like The Ring is a just fantastic adaptation of a really great film. And it was one of the first PG-13 films, uh, well, like type horror film that, um, I mean, it's it's pretty frightening. Uh, yeah. There's some things I in there. It, 
But that was a big deal that made it more accessible uh, right. to a so wider audience. Right. So the whole audience. PG-13 thing was kicked off like two years earlier by The Sixth Sense. And that thing came out and just freaked people out. And sure. it was, uh, you know, 200, 300 million, whatever it was. And uh, it paved the way for The Ring. Because at that point, these studios realized, oh, shit, these kids like horror. Like, uh, you know, R-rated, they got to be 18 or older. But yeah. PG-13, we can pack those teenagers in here. And, sure. and we can still make it scary. And, and they're smarter you know, horror films. They're not just slasher films. No. There's... And, and uh, The Sixth Sense, to me, was always more spooky. Sure. And it just has that great ending. Yeah. But The Ring is genuinely scary. Yeah, totally. I think all the way through it, I'm impressed by it. Like something like Drag Me to Hell, which is also a PG-13 one, it's it's fucking terrific but you're laughing all the way through it at how funny it is there's no laughing in the ring like no there is no laughing the stakes are high and you're you're with these people and you know and the director you know naomi watts was not a big star yet and and uh you know martin henderson wasn't even a star he was a you know australian soap actor from like echo point i think was the name of the show he was on for years and he had just came over to the u.s and they put him in this movie and so like they wanted guys and people that weren't stars necessarily because it made the film feel more real that totally, way. Totally. I, I right. totally and agree with that. Now we watch it and <laughs> Brian Cox jumps out at us right away. We're like, you know, Richard Morgan, that character. We're like, oh shit, that's that's Papa Roy from Secession. Yep. You know? Right, right. But he's he's right there. And he that's kind of early on when he was getting his, you know, shine. Brian Cox. Yeah. But, uh, he looks old there. and it's... He sure does. He's one of those guys like Wilford Brimley that was just always looked old. Like, yeah. Or Strother Martin just always look like an old guy, yeah. even in their thirties and forties. But uh, that's just one of the great things about the ring. I think it's just that it's PG thirteen and it's that's freaking scary. There's genuine jumps in this movie. When that thing came out at the end, TV at the end and attack Noah, freaked, freaked me out. It freaked you out, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Which that movie came out two thousand two, so that movie's twenty one years old now. So I was watching that movie before I came over here to kind of brush up on it. And um, I think that movie like still would hold up today. Like if you put that movie out in theaters, do you think it would do well? I mean, as far yeah. as like seeing like the special effects, I think that was even a little bit before its time, you know? Well, Rick Baker's doing those special effects. I mean, he's a genius. Yeah. That guy's it doesn't been seem dated. In the I mean, not like when we watch something from the 70s. I mean, 20 years ago doesn't seem that dated. Okay. No, and I think the way it's shot has something to do with that. The way it's all in blue greens. Yeah. Like everything has a blue green tint to it throughout the whole film. And you don't really see any shadows either. That was done on purpose. Like Verbinski was like he didn't he wanted to make it creepier by not seeing any shadows in a horror film. Like that's that's some genius right there. Because yeah, right? yeah. usually shadows are where everything gets really creepy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh no, I'm gonna creep you out by not having any. Then it, it worked. I mean, it's terrific. He made Seattle look really creepy. Sure. I, mean, I like Seattle a lot, and I never really saw it like that. Now, it seems like a lot of it's in Kirkland. I see here she's wearing a Kirkland University shirt and T-shirts okay, a okay. couple times. Mm -hmm. And that's right across the bay from Seattle, so that's right there. There isn't a Kirkland University. I looked this up. Uh, but there is a, a university called Northwestern University that is in Kirkland. Mm. And it's a Christian school, so... I don't know that the Naomi Watts character went to a Christian school. I was questioning <laughs> that. I don't think so. She's she's pretty tough. So, I mean, the reason I chose that movie was when that movie came out, it was 2002. I was in second grade at that point. And I think it was my Auntie Nikki who showed me that movie. And, you know, being in second grade, I think I was about seven or eight years old. That first scene 
or one of the first scenes when they're when they're like the sleepover and they open up that closet and that you know yeah. decomposed kind of distorted face yeah, Katie's, that Katie's dead in the closet that genuinely I that was the mo- first movie that really fucked me up I think yeah. where where it's you know still sticks with me today just that scene I can remember when I first saw that and you know being at that age being someone in second grade I was like scared to put VHS tapes in at that point <laughs> the sticker was scratched off the tape you know thinking that that that's the tape there so it was like something that really stuck with me for a long time so I, it's just kind of I've, I haven't been I don't think that frightened by a movie since that's awesome yeah that's why we're doing it it, it, it is a terrific film um, I am we got Naomi Watts in that, and she turned out to be a much bigger star after this film. Yeah. It kind of made her a star, sure, really, because sure. it was such a Gotta big hit. Got to start somewhere. Yeah. And uh, she was actually not the first choice. It was Jennifer Conley. And oh, wow. I, I'm on board with that. Yeah. I mean, we had Jennifer for Labyrinth, and yeah, yeah. Uh, well, she's much younger, but I, she's an Academy Award-winning actress. I think she would have crushed that role. Rachel Keller, I think she would have been terrific. <laughs> um Jennifer Love Hewitt was mentioned. Oh, wow. Huh. That's more a TV movie. I don't think yeah. she's... Yeah. That has a TV ring to it. Uh, ah, pun intended. Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> that would have sucked. I heard her name mentioned. I'm like, no. <laughs> Can't see it. No. Uh, Kate Beckinsale, she, she's too busy doing a really terrible movie at that same moment called Tiptoes, where if you really want to laugh at how embarrassing and inappropriate a movie can be towards little people, put on Tiptoes on Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. But Kate Beckinsale was in this movie. She could have been in this one, and I think she would have been great in the ring. She's a terrific actress. But uh, they didn't go with any of them. They ended up with Naomi Watson. I think she's, to me, she's the best performer in the film, not named Brian Cox, of course. She's terrific. Besides her son. I thought her son was great. Oh, David Dorfman is that kid. So hey, let, let's get back to the Sixth Sense again, because yeah. this kid is straight up channeling Haley Joel Osment. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, he is straight up doing his impersonation of that kid in that movie from just a few years earlier. Um, <coughs> one thing they don't go. Let's let's get into Aiden for a second. One thing they don't go too hard on, because we're so caught up in the uh, Samara stuff and all of that. Aiden has ESP. Or, you know, extrasensory, whatever. Yeah. Sure. A sixth sense. Yeah. He he does have supernatural abilities. And maybe that's the key to a PG-13 movie being a big hit. Mm -hmm. Because that was Sixth Sense and then The Ring. But he clearly has abilities because before, you know, there's that point where she's talking to the teacher about his drawings. And his teacher's like, you know, he's making these terrible right. drawings and they're he disturbing. He wrote them a week ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she said, when did you, your cousin die a few nights ago? She's like, these are from last week. Yeah. That's when you know that he really does, you know, have these extra abilities. And <laughs> oddly enough, she, Samara may have been reaching out to him before his mom even saw the tape. Yeah, it had to have been. So she, you know, and that whole thing. So one of the things also that I like about The Ring is that they don't go into the whole mythology of the, uh, the Onryo which is a Japanese, uh, you know, vengeful. Here we go. It's a vengeful spirit, sometimes rendered wrathful spirits, type of ghost believed to be capable of causing harm in the world of the living, injuring or killing their enemies, or even causing natural disasters to exact vengeance for things that, that happen to them during their life. That's what she is. She's an Onryo. So they never even mention that term in the movie. Right. Yeah. Like there's, and I think that's what makes it kind of cool is because the first time you see that movie, you're like, what the hell is that thing? Yeah. Like, and then if you go into the mythology of the movie, you find out what it is. And, and the, there's this 
thing that she does before she even becomes a ghost, when she's still living, she she makes those photos that creep her parents out and drive them mad. Yeah, that's called nentia, and that's a form of spirit photography that enables some to burn images from their mind onto a solid surface by thinking about it. Okay, that's how she made the videotape. She could think about those images and put them onto that videotape when those kids put that blank tape at the Shelter Mountain Inn, those first kids, the uh -huh. first four. Yeah. They put that blank tape into the video to record a game or something. Well, it's a recording thing, not a regular movie. So that's when Samara from the well underneath imprints all her images onto the tape, and that's the genesis of the whole thing. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Like she's And this, that's all Japanese mythology. Sure. Dude. And she has this Nensha thing when she's alive and she's just a little girl. Now, what really makes her into this Onryo is when she's murdered by her parents and dumped in the well. So she is this supernatural evil being, even in life. But when she's killed, she becomes this vengeful Onryo thing. In that film, is it explained more, or yeah, is it just more understood culturally? It is, and there's a book also that it's all based on, which really explains okay. it all. But they kind of lose track of that in this one and just go with the... The, you know, you don't just don't know what it is, which yeah. actually makes it scarier because right, right. you don't know what you're dealing with. Like, yeah, I didn't understand the photo thing. Her well, yeah, it does so. have like multiple references. So when she's like being interviewed in the mental institution, she says that she just sees the images and they just are. They just can't grasp, you know, what she's saying. And she, they think she's, you know, sick or something like that. So they do reference that in multiple yeah. points of the movie just to kind of give you more um, perspective on kind of what you could think it could be yeah how does she use the phone well she can use electronics or you see how lights go out when she goes around like she definitely travels and she travels through the tv but so we see the tv up in her little loft in the barn so i think yeah. that's the connection there that's why she comes through the tv so often is that was her way out um I'm thinking 5G, probably, something, <laughs> something along those lines. Well, also, the thing that was making me laugh on the rewatches was the whole videotape aspect of it. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, 2003, it's on the way out. DVD is, is sure. starting <laughs> up by then, and so they're more of a relic by then. So the fact that there's these people watching these VHS, it kind of makes me laugh. And by the time you get to the second one, it's, you know, which is a terrible, but... There's a, the kids are passing it around in the local community and then telling each other, well, if you make a copy of this, it won't kill you at the last second. And so they have to go find somebody real fast. And that's the like cruel prank they're playing on each other in the second one. It's almost like Talk to Me, that recent horror movie that yeah. was out where the kids are, you know, messing with the hand and it possesses them and stuff. It's, it's kind of like that. These teens get a hold of it and they start passing it around. And so that's what we don't want to have happen because right, we right. know that's the worst thing possible for this video to start happening. But the Ring One addresses, you know, the genesis of it. It's in this Shelter Mountain Inn. It's in this VHS player. Yeah. In this Cabin 12. It's, you know, that's the genesis. And she's got to nip it off at the bud. And she doesn't. She leaves tapes laying around for her son to see, and she shows it to Noah, you know. her Like, she chooses who she wants to show it to, but knows it's something that, you know, is fucked up. Yeah. And she's like, nah, I don't want this person to see it when they're reviewing the tape, but Noah's seen it. And I think she was kind of apprehensive to even show Noah in the first place, but just how he was downplaying it, you know, yeah. she didn't quite know either, you know, if it was actually serious or not. But, um, you know, like, she as researching it, all these kids died at the same time on the same day. That would be like a huge red flag for me immediately, which I think it was. 
Absolutely. It's so white people shit. Yeah. Like these this is the point in the movie where like black and Latino people watching this movie are like, We're out of here. Like the first time I heard that all four of these kids died at the same time in different places from watching a video, Adam Brody's the guy that tells her at yeah. the party right. uh, from the OC. He's the guy that tells her, No, you watch this video and then this happens. Yeah. I'm out of here. The first not time I find it. out, and I find out that that happened, I'm not going to the cabin and finding this tape. I'm done. It's somebody else's problem. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe there was like some sort of sense of like a need to help because she's I think an it investigative was, journalist. Exactly, that's what it is. but it was also like her niece that you know she was, was almost a getting to fired, tape. so she had that story that she was able her to tell her sister. Boss. Yeah, her sister asked her to find out what happened to her niece, who was the first victim in the film. And so maybe it's that she's trying to find out what happened to her niece, a sense of duty to her sister. She is an investigative journalist, so that all adds up. But and why would you ever think watching some VHS is going to kill you? Exactly. Like, come on, come on, really. <laughs> Okay, so here's something my eagle eye noticed when, when we get to the Shelter Mountain Inn. So he points over at the rack of videos, and he's like, you know, the kids were here. They stayed in cabin 12, and she's investigating, and she's like, uh, she, sees, she sees the video with nothing written on it, on the video shelf with a yep. bunch of other movies. I never paid attention to what those other movies were until last night. You know what? Night. I haven't either, and I didn't even do that when yeah. I watched it, you know, two nights ago. Either. Yeah, here we go. This is what she could have watched instead of the curse video, which doomed her family. You got Delta Force. You got Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> Set of a Woman. School Ties, which is probably the one I would have picked, or La Bamba. <laughs> you got The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. You got Bell Book and Candle, which is a great witch movie from the 50s. Like Abraxas with Jesse Ventura. I'm pretty sure the director put that one in there as a cheesy one because <laughs> there's no reason that video should be in there. But uh, Hitchcock's family plot, Son of a Woman. There's just the freshman Chud. There's yeah. just there's just ten movies there I would have picked before the haunted video. <laughs> like I mean, thank you for looking that up. By yeah, the way. I never would have even thought to put humanoid something like that. underground dwellers. Yes, I would watch Chud three times before I would watch the cursed video. Like if you know the video is cursed. Why are you throwing it in there and watching it? I don't understand that. Like, yeah. I get the investigative <laughs> journalist thing, but you've just tracked evil into a corner and you're just going to ride with it? Like, I feel like that's how most horror movies are, though. You yeah. ask that question, you're like, why, yeah. why yeah. are you why doing do you that? Why do you open that door? Why are you doing this? Yeah, and she, we get that with her in this. It's kind of frustrating, but at the same time, she's an investigative journalist, so we get it. It's just it's hard to believe that that could even be true. Come yeah. on, you're going to yeah. die from watching and that's the thing. Nobody believes her, you know, and the few people she does tell, they're like, whatever, you know. And and then we have that tragic moment where she wakes up in the middle of the night and her son is watching the video in the living room. And now the stakes are high. Yeah. Now it's really frantic. She's just investigating before. Well, now it's my son's going to die. And so now the, the stakes are higher. She's going for it now. And then that's kind of around the same moment that Noah sees himself in the security camera and is. His face doesn't face right, is right. blurred, yeah. So he suddenly becomes a believer too. So that's kind of a cool moment because the movie kind of shifts into gear, like for the last, you know, for the power drive right there down the stretch. Like that's when the, it gets really crazy. And uh, the imagery in that movie, and just outside of that first scene that kind of initially freaked me out as a kid, there's just like a couple other ones that really stuck out to me too. Like I couldn't quite, I didn't like being so young, I didn't grasp the concept. Like, you know, when, um, Richard's in the tub and he flicks on that 
um, extension cable and oh, commit suicide. That yeah. one was really gnarly too, yeah. I believe, as as a kid too. So that scene was much worse. It was way more graphic. Rick yeah. Baker did a lot more makeup stuff for that, and they cut it back because they wanted the PG thirteen. But uh, apparently, that scene was shot, and it was way more graphic. That Still was a, that was another one. A lot that of really electronics uh -huh. connected to that bathwater. Oh yeah. Oh, do you, do sure. you think that was like him trying to get rid of all the evidence of, of anything that happened? Because I, I watched it back and there was like There's a, a lot bunch of, of electronic yeah. equipment, TVs, tapes, uh, tape reels, all stuff like well, that. Well, it's all stuff she would come through if yeah. she were trying to get to him. I mean, so they are haunted by this. So he's Richard Morgan, uh, Brian Cox. And basically him and his wife, Anna Morgan, are not able to have children. And they own a horse ranch on an island. And uh, so... After multiple, you know, misses and conceiving, they go to, they disappear one summer and they come back with a child. And this is Samara Morgan. This is our, our monster. The ring girl. <laughs> yeah. This is our monster. So, uh, played by Devi Chase, who I love this. She's, she's Lilo and Lilo and Stitch. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. She's also Samantha Darko in the Donnie Darko movies. Oh. And, uh, here she is. She's, she's the ring girl. And, uh. It becomes her and that's just terrifying like she's adopted she has these little nensha powers but you know she's she's burning these images she's freaking out her parents and the horses start killing themselves because she's just putting out that crazy of an energy and uh richard's like gotta get rid of her yeah can't do uh, it. richard's like she's gotta go man and even the locals even the locals, the fish aren't aren't jumping anymore. They're not, you know, she's right, hurt right. the fishing industry. The times are hard since this child arrived here mm -hmm. on this island. And so when they uh, send her to the, you know, place where they lock her up, and then they eventually check her out and kill her, you know, she, times got better on the island when she wasn't around, you know. So she is genuinely this bad luck omen. That little that little room at the top of the barn is oh, yeah. pretty wild with the that ladder that continually shows in the imagery. But then, of course, the fact that Mama puts a bag over her head and shoves her down a well, that which, she survived seven days. Which was that also well. worse. Apparently, that death scene was also worse. Apparently, she's strangling her, and she starts hitting her head with a rock. Oh, wow. She starts slamming her head on the side of the well before oh. she dumps her in. And they cut that back because they wanted the PG-13. Yeah. yeah, it would have been rated R. The bag R. over the head was fine. Yeah. But then... That's where the seven days comes from. She survived for seven days at the bottom of that well. And so that's why you have seven days once you've seen the tape. And then she shows up to kill your ass. I think it's also kind of cool how they, there's multiple things of reference that don't exactly explain themselves in the movie until you actually start doing research into it. Like that tree that they keep referencing yes. in that movie. That I guess it bears the Samara fruit, which yes. is kind of like that helicopter fruit, you know. Uh, um, that is and, a Japanese and that's her maple name, tree. So th and there's it, just it, multiple things yeah. like that in the movie where it doesn't exactly explain it. But when once you look into it, you know, things start to make more sense. And that's something that just kind of continually makes me want to keep watching the movie is that I find something new about it almost every time that I watch it. Yeah. the no, I, I like the no header card or opening credits. Yeah. It just gets, there's the DreamWorks, then boom, we're right into it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fuck around. It doesn't time to worship our actors or directors. It gets right to work. I like that too. I like Noah's Locker. There, there's the one musical jump off bad, point in this whole thing. Religion? What yeah. bands are on there? So, Descendants? So these are, oh, so this, so this is Gore yeah. Verbinski. This yeah. actually isn't, uh, this isn't the actor Martin Henderson. That's the, you know, that's his place. 
This is all Gore Verbinski. Before he was making movies, he was a music video guy. Yeah. So he would make videos for like No Effects and Monster Magnet and L7 and, you know, some of these playing here tonight. There's uh he would make videos for all these guys. And so in that locker, there's a Refuse sticker. There's Pennywise, yeah. The Descendants, Bad Religion, Large Fredrickson and the Bastards and a Dropkick Murphy sticker. Nice. Yeah. That's so sick. I like Refuse the best. I think I like Refuse the best. With those <laughs> He's a punk guy. Noah's punk guy. But yeah, that's kind of the only musical stuff we get in it as far as yeah. any kind of, you know, because we're music nerds. So we're going to you know, notice T-shirts and shit like that. We're that's, always, always looking at the bedroom posters. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. the bedrooms. <laughs> I love it. But that's the only time we see any of that. Um, we do get a great soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. I mean. Oh, yeah. Jesus. I mean, Mr. Lion King, Mr. Chris Nolan, Dune, Blade Runner 2049, The Gladiator. I mean, Hans Zimmer's the shit. And we've got him here. He's doing great work. That's a spooky soundtrack. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Have you seen the the original? Have you seen the original? Uh, Ringu. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have not seen the original, which oh, I, it's I definitely, definitely need watching. to watch that now. Yeah, you need to watch it. It's really good. I like I said, I think the monster is a little creepier in that one, but um, I like the changes they made in the American one, and the, just the way it was shot in the blue and green, and and Naomi Watts is just fantastic. I, I buy into everything she's doing the whole time, yeah. like. Gorgeous, what did the that Noah guy? Did he ever do anything else? Yeah, he did Britney Spears' toxic video. Oh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he's the boyfriend. <laughs> Easy. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's him. No, he's still around. He still does stuff. Um, of course, we know about Brian Cox, uh, Katie, the girl who dies at the beginning, Amber Tamblin. She's in the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. So all our all our female listeners out there know her. I think I missed that one. <laughs> well, most of us guys did. <laughs> I think Brian Cox does the voiceovers for. McDonald's. Is it McDonald's? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got to be kidding me. That, that is hilarious. Listen, yeah. next time. Wow. Yeah, next time you see a commercial on TV, Brian Cox is doing McDonald's these days. And he's having his biggest moment with Secession, right? Secession, I mean, yeah. he's like Papa Roy. top of his game. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, you know, confused me going through it the first time was we have that notion that, you know, there at the end of the movie, she's making that tape with her son to save him. And so much, so many of us are left with that as the last impression of the film. But that's, you know, it's the line that he says there at the end when he's like, well, who do we pass this to? Her son says that. Yeah. That's what's really important because there's stuff that goes on in the movie during the course of it. You know, she makes the copy about day two or three that she gives to Noah. Yeah. But stuff still keeps happening to her. Now, a lot of us, you know, I think myself, especially the first time through, I'm thinking, oh, she made the tape. She was saved then. Why was that stuff happening? But when you watch it later, it's not making the tape that saves you. It's when someone else watches it. That's what saves oh, you. Oh, okay. Wow. You have to show it it's to somebody. It's twofold. Yeah. So you have to show it to someone. So when the movie ends with that line with a little kid saying it, maybe that's her first moment that she realizes that, oh, this isn't just a tape thing. I got to pass this on to somebody. So ultimately, you knowingly have to give it to somebody else who yes. is going to die. Which is where the ring two immediately kicks off. It's a high school boy that has been caught with it. You know, he's 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 on the end of his seven days. He finds some dumb girl from his school that he lures back to his house. You know, he's trying to make out with her, but he wants her to watch this tape real quick. He's trying to pass it off like a disease. Right. Like, right. And that's how the second one starts. So it and it is kind of that way. Like you have to make someone else watch it. And I love that one because he's trying to, you know, He's trying to fuck over this girl at the beginning of the movie and he leaves the room and she, he hears it playing and he thinks he's saved and then he goes walking back in the room and she's got her hands over her face. Oh my God. And then all of a sudden the chick comes climbing out, Samara comes climbing out of the TV and kills his ass. <laughs> and I'm like, for a shitty movie, I did like that start. It was a cool beginning, like, but it was all downhill from there. But 
Yeah, so I, I just, so many people think that it's the copy making that saves you, and it's, no, Somebody you have to pass else it on, it. too. They have to see it. That so. we're on the topic of the ending of the movie, I always thought that was something cool, too, is because most movies you see where it's, like, a positive ending, and this one totally is not a positive ending. Yeah. Like, Noah gets killed at the end of the movie, yep. and you just don't see that too much, where it's, like, a bad ending, and it's not resolved, and that's something right. that... I've always just found interesting about that film as well. Yeah. Well, it's also her saying, I give a shit about me and my kid. I'm putting this out there. I know it's going to kill somebody else, and there may be more copies made. They're going to kill a bunch of people. But, you know, FTW, I'm, I'm looking out for me and my kid. Yeah. Like, there's Can we just attitude. find somebody near death and end the process somewhere? <laughs> to so, show it to them? Okay, so let's get They're into it. The, so there was a cut thing going on. So at the beginning of the original film, Chris Cooper from American Beauty plays this guy that's like a pedophile murderer and she had like covered his trial this is a cut scene and he comes to her near the beginning of the movie and asks like you know can you help you know me i'm trying to get back on my feet yada yada you know you wrote all these things about me and you know he's trying to appeal to her for forgiveness whatever it is he yeah. wants but uh he really is this horrible person. And at the end of the movie, he's only seen in this one little scene where he's trying to talk to her at the beginning, maybe on the street or something. But at the end of the movie, instead of the ending we got, mm -hmm. there was an alternate ending where she found him again and gave him the tape. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so she killed off this pedophile murderer guy in the end. But they did that on test audiences and they were like, eh, that's kind of, you know, I, it's better kind of like you. I saw Leave it ended, you know. Yeah. I saw something about you know you know how we were talking about earlier about the Blair Witch Project, how they released that tape out to the public as right. like kind of a promotional a real thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I I heard something that for the Ring they did go around passing around this tape, which was the tape that you see in the movie, the one that kills people. Yeah. They were just passing that tape around before the movie was even out or announced as promotion for the movie. Yep. That was happening. And then when the movie came out, they would go to random theaters and put VHS copies on random seats. Oh, wow. And you'd, you'd come in and find it. Yeah. And then on the when they released the DVD after the movie, uh, you know, been a big hit, it sold 2 million copies in the first 24 hours, which Jeez. is just insane. Yeah. That's a lot of videos or DVDs. But, you know, it was that big a hit. But there was also a feature on there where there was an icon that said, look here. And if you clicked on it with your remote, it would disable your remote and it would start playing the video. Yeah. <laughs> and you couldn't cut out of it and get your remote back until the video was over. And then there was a sound effect of a phone ringing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's sick. I found out that this was true. I, I have a Blu-ray copy of it and I tried it on mine and I was still able to fast forward. So, uh. but uh, I have it on good authority. I talked to someone who watched the DVD in 2002 with his buddies in college religiously. And he said that it absolutely would disable your remote. That's amazing. <laughs> so that was a fun little thing they did. I think that's something we're kind of missing now, you know, like straight to Netflix or, you know, there's no really that physical kind of copy thing that you can get where it adds to it anymore, which I think that's yeah. why maybe those films during that time kind of stick with me a little bit more than ones do now. Like just the attention span of audiences nowadays including that but i do kind of miss having like a physical copy of something where you can add things to it behind the scenes stuff um behind the scenes stuff by the way i saw this one thing that creepy walk that samara has when she's coming out of the well they actually filmed that her walking backwards then put it then <laughs> right, did like the reverse to get that kind of creepy walk effect which i thought that was something you know genius yeah, exactly <laughs> and you could just do that with you know 
effects and digitally nowadays. But, yeah. You know, even back then, just having to actually manipulate things in real time kind of made films a little bit more interesting, attached to it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and I think those moments where her where her legs creep over her arms while she's crawling. Oh yeah. Those are the moments where I really get the willies, like the back legs that are in front of the front. I just love the time period too, before cell phones and you know that that's kind of what it's representing that era right before yeah. all early two thousands I mean, was great. It's a VHS, like you say, you know, yeah. where it's the DVD. Well, the DVD know. would have killed her if she if she she'd have to format change. Yeah. Tomorrow would have to move along with the times. <laughs> Because <laughs> then streaming, yeah. she's truly yeah. fucked with streaming. Oh yeah, dude, how's Samara getting around then? Uh, TikTok, just imagine, imagine a TikTok <laughs> video, a million views in like fifteen minutes. <laughs> she, Everyone's actually, done. that would be how she'd do it. That's the she'd new go horror tic- movie. Samara Morgan would go TikTok. Samara goes TikTok, yeah. and she's that the Ring Four. She'd get a million kids <laughs> all at once, like which they're on TikTok, whatever. Isn't that kind of like the Halloween Three? <laughs> We kind of see the last days of photo booths in this movies too. There's that point where she finds the the you know the receipt for Katie's photos oh, yeah, yeah. from yeah, Shelter like, Mountain like Inn. Like next day uh, yeah. print or something. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah sure. we're also used to the smartphone no and instant access photos, to phone. Yeah. yeah, not then. You, you still, still had to go to the process. photo mat. The only but, time I think I see like a photo booth now is at like weddings and shit. Like that. that's like the only time I see a photo fair. booth. Yeah, fair too. Lots of weddings. You're true though. That's like a a kitschy thing to do for sure. Yeah, the movie was a big hit. I mean, forty-eight million budget, which had me questioning: How the hell did this movie cost forty-eight million? I mean, I mean, you did have some geniuses involved. Yeah, I mean, mean, their fees alone. But I'm like, forty-eight million—that's a lot of money. Yeah, it made. It's not like they built sets or. No, there was a lot of practical. Yeah, I mean, it made two hundred fifty million. So anytime you like five times your budget, you're you're a big hit. I mean. And there was two sequels. There was this Ring 2, which came out a few years later, and don't bother. And then I guess there was one called Rings that came out in the, 20, in the teens. I, okay. I'm sure it's terrible. I don't even think I've heard of that yeah. one. It's, I, that's probably why it's terrible. We haven't even heard of it. But I, just in my research, I read that there was a third one, too. And I'm like, oh, nobody knows that one. But yeah, the original one, I mean fantastic one of the best pg-13 horror films ever and and the legacy that started there like to this day we're still getting conjurings and all these pg-13 horror movies like that started with sixth sense and the ring sure, yeah so those two they're just films not gory. They're, they're no they're scary they do have you on the edge of the seat there are scary moments to, to see the two people dead and their morphed faces yeah and that's kind of shocking they're spooky but- uh the, the thing is, I really love The Sixth Sense and The Ring. I think they're probably, and Drag Me to Hell, I, I would add in there too. I think those three are just fantastic examples of sure. PG-13 horror movies. As a whole, I don't like the genre. Uh, horror movies, I, wanna, I want you to give well, it your all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want everything. Like I want thinker. all of it. They're more thought-provoking. Yeah. You Definitely know? Like, I, I want sinister. Like I want, I want you to go for it. Because like, The Sixth Sense, as soon as you see the end of that movie, you're like, holy fuck, i got to watch that again now. You totally know, yeah, right? 100%. With that line, yeah. I see dead people. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, then you want to rewatch it to understand. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I want total blood and guts, but if, if you've got something like Sinister, for example, like I just said, where you've got dead children peering over Ethan Hawke's shoulder and, and lawnmowers rolling over families on home videos and shit, sure. that's, that's freaky. Yeah. Like That movie genuinely I thought was the scariest one I'd seen in a long time. I, that's my kind of shit right there. I just watched, what is it, A Knock on the Cabin? Terrible. I mean, 
just terrible. I enjoyed it. I mean, M Night. Well, Dave Bautista is terrific in it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just go ahead and say he's the best wrestler actor there is out yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Like. The Rock just makes this. He's just the same character in every, every movie. Time, yeah. John Cena. Yeah, what, what shitty movie did he, he do? The Marine or something like that. <laughs> do you even know that one? I've never seen it. Yeah, and Cena I'm like John of, Cena. I'm I'm out. I, I like Cena. He plays a version of himself. That whole self-deprecating thing. I kind of like it. But the just actual actor, Batista's fantastic. He's Better just, than Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> you got to say that again. <laughs> Uh, come on. Yeah, he's great. No, I didn't like Night at the, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, he's total scattershot. He's hit or miss. Yeah. You'll get a signs. You'll get a sixth sense. You, you know, you'll get something that's good, and, and then you'll get a but lot of But that was the same thing, a little more psychological than horror. Yeah. Horror, you know, like. Have you seen that movie Session 9? I have not. You need to watch Session 9. That one is strictly psychological, and yeah. that was like another one, I think, back in that time period that kind of messed me up a little bit. It's definitely like a thinker, but there's no, like, there's no jump scares. There's no actual visually frightening things. It's 100% psychological. Yeah. Session nine, I, probably. I don't know the most, the more modern movies. I think probably my favorite series is The Conjuring right now. I really, yeah, like really those? do like those. Um, They're wildly popular. Yeah. I mean, How gory do you them. think the new Toxic Avenger will be? They're Ooh. making like a little version with Peter Dinklage. Yeah, Peter Dinklage, Dinklage is, is the, the, the guy. I'm actually I'm stoked for it. Whenever it comes out, I'm going. I think it could compete with Barbie. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know Barbie. about that. We'll see. Barbie blew up. I see kids. So Barbie got so big, that movie. I see kids. You know how they're all doing, like, the Amazon app reselling stuff? Kids literally, like, in Walmart and Target, like, I don't know, 20-year-old men buying these Barbie things, scanning all the barcodes to see what they're selling for on Amazon to make a quick buck. That's how big that movie got. It was, it was crazy. Barbie. Yep. They just announced uh, for pre-order. It sold out, but a Stevie Nicks Barbie. I thought about it. Fifty-five bucks. Not bad. But oh, the witchy pre-order woman. sold out. Can't do it. Ah, that's a bummer. Sorry, I was gonna get it to you for you Christmas. Add it to your Barbie collection. <laughs> I don't have a Barbie collection. <laughs> I have an action figure collection. They're action figures, Dick. Dick. Jake, <laughs> what's going on with Icona for the next uh, few months, the end of the year, and, and for next year? You guys got big plans for 2024? So we just got off that tour in May. We're hopefully going to do the same circuit, I think, is what we were kind of talking sure. about uh, in March is what we're kind of aiming for. But honestly, we just need to, you know, buckle down and write more music. We re- released our full-length record, Subtle Worth, in February, and that, you know, gave us a lot of opportunities. Um but we just want to start playing new songs mainly. So we do have a song that's pretty much done right now. We're going to track drums for it on the 18th. And um, I'm really stoked on it. It's called Colorblind. So, I mean, all we really have right now is one single, but I think we're really going to buckle down and start writing music really heavily, maybe back off on the shows a little bit because we've been playing a lot in San Diego. We want to kind of bring that, you know, excitement back into our set because, you know, you keep playing you know, once or twice a month and asking, you know, the same people to come out and you're playing the same stuff. It's kind of hard to yeah. engage that, you know, excitement, but you got to play. You can do that because we have a big County. So if you can play in North County and yeah. down here, that's doable. But yeah. yeah. Don't play within the, the city more than a couple times a month. Cause yeah, you're, you're not helping the other venue or, you know, you want to yeah. make that show amazing, right? hundred yeah. percent. And I think bands, do that they overplay a little bit but in the beginning i think it's important because you just want people to see right exactly Um, so i mean you know we like to bring on bands that are just getting started out as well you know like there's that excitement with those new bands so you know those bands oftentimes will bring a lot of people out and i like 
you know putting people on as well we're bringing them onto our shows you know bands that have maybe had one show or no shows we'll we'll get them them on bills with us and usually they're good turnouts sure who did you do the tour with? Was that with nothing? So we actually just did the tour on our own. Oh, okay. um, shout out to Mario, my bass player, who's also in a really good band called Nights Like Thieves. We kind of hit cities that he already had contacts in, sure. so it was fairly easy to book that tour. Um, and the attendance was really good. We came out on top financially, which was a big thing. Nice. He also owns his van, so that's like another sure. aspect that made the tour even possible financially for us. But we, we went on our own, and we uh, got local bands from each city to open up for us. So I think that helped the attendance a lot as well and made you know the tour possible. Did the venues take any merch cuts? They did not take merch cuts. Okay. So I actually, I actually heard that bands or venues are backing off on that now. Yeah, Live Nation just made a oh, huge Live announcement. Live Nation, that's what I saw. And they're yeah. going to like give, give, give you $1, money. Fifteen hundred dollars or it something. Probably in the back end is read the fine print. But... It's Live Nation. Don't trust them. They're Ticketmaster. It's through the end of the year. They made a lot of headlines with that that they were waiving the merch cuts. Right, but if right. you look at the fine print, it's typical Ticketmaster crap. It's through the end of the year. Yeah, there's I always mean, some. Well, is that sort the stipend that they're giving? They're out? trying to rehab their image right. because they built their business back on bands backs basically sure. the, that were playing there they were taking a giant cut of their merch yeah and it wasn't good for publicity no. and it got out because bands yeah. were putting it out on social media it was jeff rosenstock Rightfully was the artist so. recently did a post and oh it there's been viral. a bunch of artists yeah. it's not just him there's been a bunch of artists that have been doing this online and they've been catching wind that this is going on and now these corporate venues are backing off on it and rightfully so Casbah has never no. taken any merch cuts ever. No. Soda Bar doesn't um, either. Los like, Angeles venues, yeah. House yeah. of Blues. I mean, yeah, uh, it's garbage. The Observatory. Um, those I mean, bands yeah, like don't the, make money on the road, and that's their gas money and meal money, and you're taking that from it them. It really so is. That's terrible. I mean, I've noticed because we've played some of the larger venues in town, like Soma and House of Blues, and we've opened up for big acts that it actually is a Live Nation show. We opened up for Dayseeker last year, and then. I think it was either the beginning of this year or late last year. We played a show with Secrets and Dead American, uh, House of Blues and Soma. We didn't get any merch cut issues with those venues either. So I don't know if it's like a San Diego Weird. thing where we kind of collectively come together and we're like, we're not doing that. Or if it's just those shows didn't it have those stipulations. It goes on. House of Blues does do it. Yeah. Do yeah. Anytime you see a $40, $45 t-shirt, it's because the band had to raise their prices. Right. Because they can't take the hit on their cut. Exactly. Yeah. That's and why so, stadium shows are, you know, the yeah. 120 bucks for a hoodie or whatever. And that's unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, especially when you got Carcass coming through a few months ago with $20 t-shirts. Oh, yeah. That's Shout amazing. Shout out to Carcass. It was the 90s. Like, they, they acted like it's still the 90s. $20 t-shirts for their whole, even their openers. The bands that were opening yeah. for them had more expensive t-shirts. That's one more reason Carcass rules. <laughs> <laughs> How yep. much do you charge for T-shirts? We charge at most, so we normally do twenty bucks. Yeah, but that's a good price. It, it depends on how many colors are on the T-shirt. Honestly, you know, T-shirt costs vary by how many colors you have on it. So, you know, a T-shirt can be from ten to fifteen dollars cost per shirt. When you buy in bulk, you get a bit more of a deal. Um, but the most that we have for our last print Icona shirt is thirty bucks, and those those have been doing pretty well. Yeah. We did three prints Local of those. Always keep it reasonable. There. And they're still going. Um, but, I mean, on tour, we sold out of the merch really quickly, which was something I was really stoked about. And people I kind of want to see some dicks, I guess. This yeah. is a popular T-shirt the... print, huh? <laughs> yeah. we gotta, print that we gotta, one? We got to we gotta do a lim limited now. print now. But you know what? The stickers went really quick, too. Yeah. Uh, Anytime that happens, because I know that was done 
with uh, love. It was done, you know, completely not to be mean or anything. And I think that it just builds more fun, you know, like. Even if people think that there's something between you guys, it's uh, it's hilarious. Well, we didn't take those. Talk. We didn't take those on tour. The ones that you made us, we took on yes. tour. Just oh, the Icona sticker. Yeah. Um, sticker but, but those, dude, those go so fast. We definitely have to do more than 64 stickers. You were yes. right. Yes. yes we should have yes. probably done like 120, yeah. 180, something I'm like for that. I'm pre-orders or more reorders. Yeah, we'll get some going here soon. What's the website for Icona? Our Instagram is the main place that you can find all of our stuff. It's at Icona Band on Instagram. We're really ramping it up as far as content. Do you have We're a posting. link tree on your We do have Instagram? a link tree, yeah. So okay. you can find all the stuff there, our Spotify link, Apple Music, music video, upcoming uh, shows and um, tour dates if we have it. But Instagram's the main place that you can find all of our music and keep up to date with us um like i said we're really pushing that now we're doing reels you know just about every two days and nice trying to get that going since we don't exactly have music coming out you know in the really near future so if you want to see some cool stuff from tour um just random shit that we're doing that would be the place to do it very nice jake davis not jake from state farm i always want to say that hey it's fine why. jake from sam jake ash from that's state cool jake you from can call me whatever you want tim i love you I love you too, man. You can also be found over at Sam Ash. Uh, rest in peace, Sammy Ash passed away uh, recently. He's, yeah, unfortunately, um, Sammy Ash did pass away. It's very sad. We're on our 99th year this year. I really, wow. I really would have uh, liked to see you know him make it to 100. I know that was something that he really wanted to do. Um, but we're, what we're bringing back this year is the Thankapalooza. It's going to be November 4th. It's kind of like a customer appreciation day, you know, where we have like a party. We got a barbecue going out front, thousands of dollars in gear giveaway. Nice. Um, and we haven't done that for about three years now since the COVID thing. So you I'm really excited we can bring that back. Educational programs a la the School of Rock kind of a thing. You have your own program there. And yeah, it's called Ash Rock. What is it? Ash Rock. Ash Rock. Yeah. And bands perform there. You got a cool stage. You do events associated with that. Yeah. You do instruction. Uh, if if you're in a if you're in a marching band, probably the premier place to get any of the the brass instruments is your store, right? You have yeah. Yeah. We got a there. bunch of brass, I've never bunch seen of drums, pretty pretty wall. much everything that you need to get going. We got it. Nice. Well, Jake from Icona, it's great to hang out with you. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, guys. I had a really good time, and uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Anytime, brother. Where can people find you? Uh, they, can you get employee discounts for for our friends at the uh, come Sam in we'll, come in we'll, we'll 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 talk. Do you haggle there at Sam Ash as much as those assholes do at Guitar Center? You know the the whole kind of instrument haggling thing is something that's kind of dying out a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of dying out a little bit, but um, I sell on the value, not the price. You know. Graham, anything else? Happy Halloween, everyone! Happy <laughs> Halloween! We're in October. <laughs> I got a all videotape the, I want to show you, by the way. Dedicated to all those Barbies and Taylor Swifts running around out there this year. Oh, dude, for sure. What about that Kelsey dude? I, 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 there's going to be lots of Kelseys and Swifts showing up to yeah. parties this year. All you got to do for that jersey is you just got to buy the jersey. There you go. This has been Soundcheck Flicks. Thank you for your support, and thanks for listening. Always, we appreciate you. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Hey, SCF lovers. Next week, we go to Richmond High and check in with Jeff Spicoli. You dick! And Wait Mr. a minute. And Mr. Hand. That's Claremont High School. Tune in next week to see who our guest is. <laughs>